0: You know, today we're gonna continue this idea of how to navigate family drama because David has a front row seat to dealing with a very narcissistic, jealous, envious father-in-law, but the whole family is affected. Now, isn't it true that all families have different traditions? I've joked about some of the funny ones in my family. Like when we used to make bacon, we dumped all the bacon into the pan and we would stir the bacon, stir the bacon. Not any particular piece got fully cooked, but you had a lot of bacon. Now my wife's family, very, very different. My wife's family, each piece of bacon was set perfectly on the pan until it was half done. It would be perfectly flipped over and you had a perfectly cooked piece of bacon, right? We get married. What's the correct way to cook bacon? Or gift giving. Christmas at my house, every person took turns opening gifts. Big pile of gifts, with youngest open one, the next, and next, and next. So opening gifts could take like two hours. Not at my wife's house. My wife's house, big pile of gifts, ready, set, go. Everybody's tearing into their gifts, and the whole experience was over in like six minutes. And now all of a sudden there's these, how does your family tradition and my family tradition become our family tradition? And how do we navigate those challenges? In my family, we talked a lot about emotion. How are you feeling? What's going on? How would you feel about what happened today? I remember meeting my father-in-law for the first time, or one of the first times we had a real serious conversation. I said, Butch, what does it mean to be a Gilbert? He said, oh, huh. We don't do emotions. I was waiting for the punchline. Oh, you're serious. (laughs) All of a sudden, right? That family dynamic and my family dynamic, and now we got to figure out as a family, as a couple, how to navigate it. I love this uh, quote from a book I read recently. It said, all families are like a cross-cultural experience, and that each partner was born into a particular family. And every family is a nation unto itself with its own customs and its own way of speaking. Now, David's going to have to navigate with Miguel, his wife, and Jonathan, his brother-in-law, the dysfunction of King Saul. And we're going to follow his example because if you and I can decide how to play the game, we'll keep the game from playing us. Three aspects to acting wisely today. What does it mean to speak up when it's appropriate, wake up to the reality of evil, and button up sometimes because saying anything won't make things better. All right, let's begin with what does it mean to speak up? Throughout chapter 18 and 19, we're going to pick up on chapter 18 where we left off last week, but we're covering mostly chapter 19. What does it look like to speak up for good behavior, to speak up for healthy behavior? We see this all through the passage, both in 1 Samuel 18 as well as 1 Samuel 19. Saul also sent messengers to David's house to watch him. Remember how he's been eyeing David the whole time? Now he's spying on him and he's trying to murder him. He's trying to kill him in the morning. So Miguel, David's wife, told him saying, listen, dad's up to no good. There's unhealthy behavior here. My dad's trying to kill you. if you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. Now, that may seem extreme. Well, Chad, we don't have a lot of murder planning going on in our our life and in our family reunions. We might want to kill each other, but we haven't tried it yet. But Miguel noticed something unhealthy and dangerous, and she spoke up. She made an allegiance with her husband. The Bible speaks about leaving your family of origin and cleaving to your spouse. It's one of those ways of saying, I'm not going to triangulate with my family of origin. We're going to put our marriage first, and we speak up for what's right, and we speak up for one another. But it continues. So Jonathan, remember Jonathan is in line to be the next king. It would be very easy for him to take Saul's side, but he doesn't take sides, except that he takes God's side, the side of truth and health and doing things with integrity so jonathan told david saying my father saul seeks to kill you i love my dad he's the king he raised me but he's not doing what's right here so again we see him speaking up therefore please be on your guard until morning stay in a secret place and hide i will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are and i will speak with my father about you then what i observe I will tell you. So Jonathan and David have a test to find out if Saul's really trying to kill him or if it's all been a rumor. Well, it turns out, sadly, that King Saul's trying to kill him. But here's Jonathan again speaking up for true, honest behavior. Next. Now Saul spoke to Jonathan. He's not happy about this. His son and to all his servants that they should kill David. Guys, you're either on my side Or you're on David's side. This is what happens with unhealthy people. It's not about what's true or honest. You're either for me or against me. And what does it mean to be for me? It means you're willing to kill someone else. To which you're like, well, that doesn't relate to me. Well, it does sometimes. Maybe not literally kill, but until we kill someone's reputation, unless you're willing to kill that deal, unless you're willing to break off that relationship and side with me, and say I'm 100% correct, we can't have a relationship. That's not healthy. When somebody shuts down your ability to speak up, you're not in the middle often, or most of the time, in a healthy relationship. It's very us versus them, very polarized thinking. So what does Saul do? They should kill David, but Jonathan. Jonathan speaks up for what's healthy. Saul's son, delighted greatly in David. I'm not going to be against him just because you are. Thus, Jonathan spoke, here he speak up again, spoke well of David. So meanwhile, division's being caused by King Saul, but Jonathan's speaking up for what's right. And he spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Dad, let not the king sin. Against his servant, against David, because he has not sinned against you. Dad, here are the facts. You're not hearing and walking in the truth. He's not sinned against you. And because his works have been the opposite of that, they've been very good towards you, Dad. For he took his life in his hands. He killed the Philistine, Goliath for you. And the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all of Israel. David's on your side. You saw it. You rejoiced. Why then, dad, will you sin against innocent blood to kill David without a cause? You don't have a good reason for what you're doing. So for just a moment, David was open, Saul was open to feedback. For just a moment, he heard some truth because someone dared to speak up with grace and truth. So Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan. And Saul swore, all right, got it, got it, got it. As the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. Then Jonathan called David. And Jonathan told him all the things that happened. He was going to kill you. I kind of talked him out of it. But he clearly wants to kill you. So Jonathan brought David to Saul. And he was in his presence as in times past. He's trying to rebuild the relationship. And trying to see if he can bring about some order. Jonathan is trying to bring two people who disagree together. And that can be a great godly thing, that of being a peacemaker. It also can be a bad example of a triangle. One person in a relationship is stuck in the middle, always triangulating between others. So when it comes to relationships, sometimes speaking up is speaking up for one-on-one communication and trying to get rid of triangles in a family. I remember a friend of mine uh, a couple years ago, a business owner here in the community, been attending Horizon for decades. His daughter got married and he really wanted to have a great relationship with his son-in-law. And he did. But then his son-in-law and his daughter were going to build a new house and they thought they could save some money by moving in with he and his wife. Now, he was open to the idea. He wanted to help set them up for success. But he also knew this either was going to improve their relationship or make it a lot worse. For the most part, it was a great experience. However, about two weeks in, he noticed that every time he was mad at his son-in-law, he had a tendency to not talk directly to him, that cross-cultural experience, but to talk to his daughter. Hey, honey, something your husband's doing is driving me crazy, and vice versa. Every time her husband was mad at her dad, She'd say, dad, you can't believe what your dad said to me today. She then had to run and tell dad. He decided this wasn't healthy. It was stressing his daughter out. So he decided to speak up for what's right. He took his son-in-law to lunch. He said, I love my daughter. I know you love my daughter. Can you tell that we got her stuck between the two of us right now? He said, yeah. I said, how about we make a deal, you and me? If something bothers you, something bothers me, if something I'm doing drives you crazy or it's a misunderstanding, let's commit to not putting your wife and my daughter in the middle. Come talk to me man to man. I'll come talk to you. He said that conversation, speaking up for truth, totally changed their dynamic. Now, not every son-in-law and not every father-in-law is open to that feedback but dare to be the person in your family relationship to cut off gossip, cut off division, cut off triangulation, and speak up and commit to good, healthy, one-to-one communication. All right, so first we speak up. The second thing is we wake up. What do I mean? We need to wake up to the reality that people we care about and grew up with and normal behavior we think is normal when someone else steps into our family system, they can see things that are pretty destructive. And that is certainly true of David stepping in to Jonathan and Saul's family. Jonathan's gonna have to wake up to the reality that his dad's pretty dysfunctional. There's a book I read several years ago called Toxic In-Laws. and describes five different types of toxic relationships. There's the critics, the family that's always criticizing you or your spouse, the engulfers, Of course you're going to be at every family reunion. Of course you're going to be at our our house for dinner. You live nearby four nights a week. The controllers, well, you know what you really should do. Well, I don't think that's the right thing to do over dinner. The masters of chaos, you're not sure why, but every time you're around the family or that person, chaos ensues. And the rejectors. no matter how hard you try, this always reject you. Sometimes you have to wake up, that no matter what you do, there are certain dysfunction you can't change and you can't fix. Now Jonathan has that same dilemma. There was wartime again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow, and they fled from him. Now the distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul again as he sat in his house, and he had his spear in his hand, and he again wanted to pin David to the wall while he played that harp. Now this is not just some fictional story, right? Archeologists have found houses and fortresses that King Saul lived in. Here's one of them. And this rubble represents not only the rubble of his kingdom, but the rubble of his heart. Saul's relationship with his daughter is gonna crumble. She's gonna have to wake up to the reality that her dad is not healthy. Her dad is not walking with God. That rubble represents King Saul's relationship with Jonathan, his oldest. Everything falls apart because he continues to act deceptively. In fact, here's just a few things we need to wake up to when we look at King Saul's life. Number one, murder, right? He sought to pin David to the wall with the spear. He slipped away from Saul's presence. Happened twice, he fled and escaped. Dad is a murderer. Two, manipulation. Now, Miguel, Saul's daughter, this is before they were married, loved David. King Saul noticed this. He says, oh, yeah, I'll have my daughter marry David. Why? Because she loves him? No, look. It pleased him that she loved David. So Saul said, I will give her to him that she may be a snare to him. I hope this will be a way I can manipulate and spy on my new son-in-law my general I'm worried about by having married marry a daughter that I'll get to be on my side. You talk about manipulation and dysfunction. Third, triangulation and secrets. Saul commanded his servants, communicate with David secretly. Say, look, the king is delighting you. All his servants love you. Therefore, become the king's son-in-law. And David's like, does it seem like a light thing to be the king's son-in-law? Seeing I am poor and lightly esteemed. So David's insecure. He comes from a poor family. The dowry for a wife is something he can't afford, let alone the dowry for a royal wife in those days. But King Saul is triangulating and secretly communicating and manipulating. In every family, you'll see this kind of dysfunction. Not straight talk, but triangulated talk. Hey, let me tell you something about the person who's not in the room, right? That is not healthy behavior. And often it was so normal for us growing up, we have to wake up to the reality that the normal way of communicating in our family may actually be dysfunctional. But there's another one, entrapment. Now this is unbelievable. Saul said, well, okay, if he thinks he's too poor, here's what you do. Thus say to David, Oh, the king does not desire any dowry, just one hundred foreskins of the Philistines. What? Yeah, yeah. You don't need to pay me money. Just go out and kill a hundred Philistines and cut off their foreskins and bring them back to me for a pile. Ah, welcome to the family. To take vengeance on the king's enemies. But here's his real motive. But Saul thought that would make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. The reason he really did this is because he thought if he kills off a hundred Philistines and takes their foreskins, that reputation is going to spread through the Philistines and David's going to become their number one enemy. He's entrapping him. He's setting him up for failure. He's saying one thing but living a totally duplicitous life think so. And both Miguel and Jonathan are going to have to wake up. What do I mean by wake up? It's hard to wake up to the reality of evil. Yeah, Horizon has been around almost 20 years now. And one of my good friends started coming to Horizon because she was in a circumstance and a situation that she didn't even believe in evil. She thought people were basically good, until she came face-to-face with lying and cheating, polygamy, finding out that she wasn't the only wife. And someone in our community invited her to come to Horizon back where at CCD. She would come into the back where no one could see her in the dark and listen to messages, didn't know a lot about the Bible, but she would just cry. Every time the band played Amazing Grace, she would just cry. God would just wash over her that he wanted to treat her differently than she was being treated. It was over the next couple of years she began to understand Jesus and the Bible and the grace of God. As she began to walk through her spiritual journey to eventually becoming a Christian. One thing she said to me, she said, you know, what brought me to Christ was waking up to the reality of of evil. I didn't believe there was such a thing as evil, but I had seen it up close and personal. Now, for the next couple years, I watched her accept Christ, but more than that, learning how to forgive, still setting boundaries to protect herself, but learning how to forgive it was so powerful. In fact, I was there the day that she got baptized, and I just remember it was a very specific day in her life. It was a reminder that her anniversary post-divorce was always a reminder of a failure and pain. But the date we picked for the baptism as a church happened to sit on the very day so that she could celebrate that day how God had transformed her and changed her. Yes, she had to wake up to the reality of evil, but she also got to wake up to the idea that God can take what's intended for evil and use it for good. I don't know if you've ever been baptized. The reason we do what we do as a church is because we want people's lives transformed by God's grace. In fact, in the early days, we used to have baptisms at Horizon at people's homes, but now we have them all over the place. In fact, here's one recently we did down at Bass Island. Bass Island's the, the river, Little Miami River right down there. Friend who got baptized. Maybe saw his interview a few weeks ago, a few months ago. It was just so exciting to to gather together and, again, hear his story about coming from a Jewish background, coming to know Jesus, and really begin to understand his own faith and saying, I now know what grace is all about. Often we do our baptisms right out here on the terrace. In fact, it's usually several of us in the water, someone talking about their faith journey, celebrating and clapping together as a community. Maybe you've never been baptized. We're going to have a baptism, maybe even two coming up between now and the fall, And if you wanna get baptized, just give us a call at the office and say, you know what? With how I've had to wake up to the reality of evil or wake up to the reality of grace, the idea of getting in the water, it's a symbol of the washing that Jesus did for us on the cross and saying, God, I now belong to you. I'm waking up to my own evil, my own dysfunction, and I'm waking up to your grace. So again, give us a call to office. We'd love to be part of your baptism and celebrating with you. That's what life change is all about. So number one, we need to speak up sometimes. We've got to wake up to the reality of evil. But we also have to sometimes shut our mouth and button up. What do I mean? What does it mean to button up? Jesus says, do not cast your pearl before swine. The book of Proverbs says, do not rebuke a fool. He'll hate you for it sometimes the people and the situation is so dysfunctional you gotta know when to just remove yourself from the situation because speaking up isn't going to fix anybody and it's not going to solve the problem because they're so close-minded and miguel learns this the hard way so saul sent messengers to david's house to watch him to kill him in the morning and miguel david's wife told him right she speaks up to him but she buttons up doesn't tell her dad what she's doing Saying, If you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you're gonna be killed. So Miguel let David down through a window. We gotta get out of here. Don't tell anybody. Button up, shh, get out. And he fled and escaped. And Miguel took an image, an image, and laid it in the bed, put a cover of goat's hair on his head, and covered it with clothes. Now, archaeologists have found some beds from this time period. So I want you to imagine for a second this bed. David, Miguel, they've just found out his life's in danger. Remember, the family tension is dad's always expected you'd have allegiance with him, either for me or against me. I'm coming tonight to get your husband. Don't you tell him we're going to kill him. She decides instead to button up, not tell King Saul that she's helping her husband escape. She knows you can't You can no longer, dad has gotten to a place, you can no longer dialogue with him. It's just his way or the highway. So what happens? Well, Saul sent his messengers to take David. She said, oh, oh, he can't come out right now. (coughs) He's sick, right? He's sick in bed. Well, They're gonna kill him anyway, what does that matter? Well, then Saul sent the messengers back to David saying, Bring him up here to me in the bed and I'll kill him. If you guys the soldiers, you know, we we don't want to kill a sick guy, you know, we only kill healthy people. Well, you bring him to me, I'll kill him. And when the messengers had come in, they come into the bedroom, rip open the covers, there was an image, not David, it's like a scene from Ferris Bueller, in the bed with a cover of goat's hair for his head. Then Saul said to Miguel, why have you deceived me? Why did you button up toward me and not tell me the truth? Why did you choose to save your husband? Like this. And you sent my enemy away so that he has escaped. So let's look at these images and this goat's here. What might that have looked like in that bed? Well, again, archaeologists have found several things that help us. Painter illustration shows that this is what it might look like. Miguel... Putting David slowly, lowering him down on a rope. Meanwhile, button up toward King Saul and his soldiers. Let's hide an image, maybe even an idol, under the covers. Here's what a couple of idols look like that archaeologists have found during that time period. So this could have been an idol, showing it was idol worship going on during that time. It's like a mannequin, right? It's the mannequin days, like Ferris Bueller, hidden under the covers. His soldiers are like, well, I guess he's in there. He looks kind of sick. Here's a male version of it that archaeologists have found that she may have put in the bed. But again, many people think that David had red hair. So the reason she mentions goat's hair is because goats often have a red color to their their hair. So imagine this, this image with red goat hair covered up. He's sick, don't come in here. Now what's going on here? David and the whole Bible describes That we shouldn't lie, we shouldn't deceive. However, the few times that the Bible affirms deception is when you're trying to protect life. When the Pharaoh and the Egyptians were trying to kill the babies, it says the Egyptian maidservants hid them, did not tell them. When Rahab had the two spies up on her roof, she lied and said they weren't there. God affirms protecting life is the highest ethic and value. The same thing is true here. So sometimes we have to button up. Now, not everybody in this story buttons up. What do I mean? Somebody decides to tell King Saul what happened. So Miguel answered Saul, well, he said to me, let me go. Why should I kill you? David fled and escaped. And he went to Samuel and told him all that Saul had done to him. He's like, Samuel, I'm in trouble. The guy you anointed is out to kill me. What should I do? Seeking advice open to feedback. What would God have me do? Samuel, help me here, David says. Now, the fact that he ran off and told Samuel, that was told Saul, saying, somebody didn't button up. See, you are not morally obligated to tell everybody everything. In fact, you're not morally obligated to tell somebody who's dysfunctional or trying to kill someone anything. But somebody... Somebody doesn't button up. And because he doesn't, as you'll see in the next couple weeks, lots of innocent people will be killed. Now it was told Saul saying, Take note, David's at Naoth in Ramah. So Saul sent messengers to take David. Now, what happens next is pretty tragic. Sometimes, back to that wake-up principle, we have to release the lie that you and I could change people. Sometimes we think if I'd said it differently. If I'd come out a different way, maybe if I just... There are some times, no matter what you do, that person is not gonna hear, that person is not gonna be open and not gonna change. And this is a dramatic example of that. And maybe what you and I need to be free is to release the lie that what's going on here has anything to do with us. Watch what happens. So the spirit of God comes upon the messengers of Saul. Saul says, you group, you garrison of soldiers, go kill David. And as they're coming to kill David... The spirit of God comes upon them. So imagine this. This garrison of soldiers comes up, kill David, kill David. And all of a sudden they start singing and dancing songs of worship, all these soldiers. And hey, I don't want to kill David anymore. So they come back to Saul. Send another garrison. Another garrison goes out. Spirit of the Lord comes upon them. They're all singing and dancing and praising God. Don't kill David. And Saul's getting so frustrated what happens next so when saul was told he sent other messengers and they prophesied likewise they're singing around not killing him so saul sent messengers a third time more singing and dancing they prophesied also verse 22 then three groups of garrisons that the god himself the holy spirit came upon them and told them don't kill david he's my man then he also saul said you know if you're gonna kill somebody you gotta do it yourself he went to Ramah and came to the great well that's at Seku. Now he's got this moment at the well. God has been working in people I know. God's saying, don't do this. Am I open? So he went there from Na'at to Ramah and the spirit of God comes upon Saul. Imagine with the spear, kill David, kill David. Whew, Jehovah Jireh, my prayer. Now the spirit of God's come upon him. So God himself is intervening in Saul's life. And he, Saul, went on prophesying. So He's prophesying and singing until he comes to Naoth and Ramah. He strips off his outer garments, his clothes, and he prophesied before Samuel in like manner. And he lays down naked, meaning his outer garments are off. All day and all night, God knocks him on the ground for a day and a night. You're in time out, King Saul. God's saying, you are way off base. I've given you a dose of grace and power in my work, and now I'm gonna put you in time out. You are way out of line. Do you think that would get your father, your son, your cousin, your sister's attention? If God himself came, made them prophesy, dance around for a little bit, throw them on the ground for day and night so they could think about their life, surely that would change them, right? Well, if that can't change them, then you ought to release the lie that you can change them because this is not, not going to change King Saul. What? He laid down naked all that day and all that night and therefore they even said, wow, isn't Saul among the prophets? This is amazing what God's doing in his life. Well, don't be too amazed because he will start trying to kill David again. I was reading this passage, I guess it was a few months ago. I got a good friend of mine who's attended here several times, and his dad is very, very famous. His dad is famous in Christian circles for being a Christian speaker. And his dad has just gone off the rails. It's in our family. And he's married multiple women within a year. He's lied and deceived and manipulated. And my friend, a family member, is just heartbroken That his dad just gets on YouTube and gets on different channels and just comes after him. The dad who he loves and respects and honors and his dad has been trying to destroy his business and destroy him personally for the last 10 years. I called him up having read this passage. I said, man, I feel like God wants me to tell you something. I know you keep trying to do your part and do your part and do your part. I've seen you pray about this. I've seen you ask for feedback about this and I know you're heartbroken over this. In fact, the day I called him, he was watching Ravi Zacharias' funeral that day and just thinking about the incredible impact Ravi Zacharias had on so many people. He said, you yeah, my dad is in a similar category, but Ravi is dying with incredible integrity and my dad's lost all of his. In fact, several of us in the family have had to remove all contact from this person. I have, my dad has, my mom has, because the person's just not open to feedback. And that day I said, well, I feel like God's telling me to tell you this. You can release the lie that you can change your dad. I wish you could. I wish I could change him. I told him the story of King Saul. Even God himself came, worked with him on a little walk to kill David, had him prophesy, dramatic miracle, threw him on the ground for a day and the night, and he still got up and chose to do the wrong thing. My friend was in tears at the end of the phone call and he said, thank you. I so need to hear that today. Because right, if you've got a good heart, if you've got a a heart like Jesus, you want to love another people. You want them to change. You want to do your part to learn. But sometimes we have to wake up the reality of evil and button up. There's just nothing we can do to fix the situation. Some people continue to give themselves over to bad behavior and God gives them over to their debased mind. So it says in Romans chapter one, so what does this mean for all of us? I well, think it means a couple things. For some of us, it means picking one of those three things. We're good at telling it like it is and speaking up, but we need the discernment and wisdom of when to button up. Others of us, we're really good at holding it all in because we're people pleasers. But we need to ask God for the courage to speak up and even wake up to the reality that there might be some dysfunction that we've been blind to. There's something powerful I'd like to alert you to as a key takeaway for today. It's one thing to avoid doing bad toward your enemies. But what does it mean to work good, even very good, toward dysfunctional people? You see, Jesus loved us when we were dysfunctional. Jesus loved us when we made mistakes and we did the wrong thing, right? What if we did the same thing for other people? In 1 Samuel 19, verse 4, Jonathan said something I think worth noting. He's saying to Dad, Hey Dad, why why are you sinning against your servant David? He has not sinned against you. So he has avoided doing evil to you. Avoided doing bad towards you as his enemy. But it's better than that. David, because his works have been very good towards you. Despite how you've treated him. Not only is he not doing bad towards you, he continues to do very good towards you. Now, think about your enemies. Think about dysfunctional people who've hurt you. It's not enough to just avoid doing bad by them. What if we instead do very good by them? Isn't that what Jesus did for us? God didn't just avoid us when we were traitors and, and, and liars and sinners he pursued us, he forgave us, he gave us mercy and grace, and he wants us to do unto others as he's done unto us. How do we love dysfunctional people, because we are them, while at the same time not getting caught up in their dysfunctional games? We're going to need some supernatural wisdom to do that. Let's pray for that wisdom today. Father, you told us to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecuted us, And we hear that, but we don't do that. Father, I ask that you would challenge us with the words of David, that we would do very good by the people in our life who desperately need truth, desperately need grace. We'd be released from the lie that we can change anyone. But Father, we would continue to be a conduit of your love and patience to those around us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.